Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 10. And that's on page 830. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the he- heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, St- and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which the word of, which is the word of God. So uh, we're going to think about God's word now and uh, apply it. So let's let's pray. Father in heaven, as, as we come to you today, we come with uh, our minds uh, full of issues of things which we've been thinking about and our hearts uh, filled with things which we've been dealing with uh, throughout the week in our workplaces, in our families uh, and uh, in our communities, in our lives. And uh, Father, we pray now that you'd help us to set aside those things and focus on your word. We pray that your word would nourish us. We pray that your word would sharpen our thinking we pray that your word by your spirit would uh, impact our hearts that we would be people who would stand firm for christ uh, throughout our lives and uh, we pray these things now in jesus name amen Um, about uh, about seven years ago i think it was uh, when we're in we're at war in both Iraq and Afghanistan, the Australian media got hold of a confidential uh, report uh, from sources uh, that uh, described some of the problems that Australian soldiers on those battlefields were having with the weapons that they had been issued with. And I want to uh, tell you about some of those difficulties. Uh, The report said that 20% of the rifles which our diggers had had problems with locking, jamming and misfiring. That's one in five. Uh, Special Forces troops had been sent machine guns which were cracked or broken in some other way. Uh, They had been issued with grenade launchers which simply fell apart. And there had been 44 cases of serious ammunitions failings uh, with, um, involving hand grenades, bullets and rockets. How about that? That's pretty disappointing, isn't it? That is, that is very disturbing because, uh, quite frankly, uh, if we've got uh, our diggers over there in a fight with insurgents, 
then what is at stake? For them, it is their very lives. What do they need? They need the very best equipment, the very best weapons that money can provide. It was not good enough. And uh, they, um, uh, and this was revealed in the public media. You know, when we look at Ephesians chapter 6 today, we're we going to discover that if we are Christians, then we need protection and we need weapons. Because there is a war that is going on all around us, and which we're a part of. It's not a war which is being fought over land. It's not a war that's being fought over um, political power. It is a war which is being fought over your soul. It is a war which is being fought over your very eternal existence. Friends, as we, uh, we've come to the back end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we've seen over the last few weeks how Paul has teased out uh, what the, the gospel means uh, in terms of our relationships, the relationship between a husband and a wife, the relationship between parents and children, the relationships that we have in the workplace, uh, which are battlefields sometimes. These are the battlegrounds. And now, uh, Paul has a word for every single member of the church, no matter who they are. I want to uh, just refresh by having a look at uh, that in uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. In verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, they tell me that uh, uh, when you're in a war, one of the most important things to know is to know your enemy, to know who your enemy is, to know how your enemy fights and probably most importantly, to know why your enemy fights. What is it that motivates your enemy? In Australia, people by and large do not believe in Satan. In fact, I, I looked at a survey where they had surveyed people and asked people whether they believed in heaven. And then of the people who said that they believed in heaven, they also asked, do you believe in hell? And two-thirds of them didn't. Two-thirds of people who say they believe in heaven do not believe in hell and Satan and all of that. You've got to know your enemy. And the Bible teaches that Satan is real. That Satan is just as real as God himself and he is a fallen angel and he has spiritual beings who follow him. You know what the word Satan means? It means enemy. He is the enemy. He is the enemy who in the Garden of Eden lured Adam and Eve. He is the enemy who in the wilderness tempted our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the enemy who when Judas walked out of that room entered into his heart 
and he is the enemy who we have seen throughout Ephesians is the one who has the hearts, who controls the hearts of all of those who are in darkness who reject Jesus. And friends, he is the enemy who, as the Apostle Peter says, is like a roaring lion who is ready to devour you. And his goal is to stop us from following Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. That's why he fights. Now, they tell me that you know that there's a war on when you start seeing body bags. Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, in the American Civil War back in the, in the 1800s, uh, from 18, uh, 1865 to 1869, I think it was, they, there were people who didn't really comprehend that there was a war happening, particularly up in the north. There were people who thought, oh, well, this, this is not all that serious. You know, there'll be a few skirmishes and it'll all be over and things will return to normal. But, you know, they say that the American Civil War was the very first media war in history. The reason, pretty simple, really, because what had been invented just prior to the American Civil War, what had been invented was the, the camera. And so for the first time in history, they had cameramen embedded with soldiers. And it wasn't until people living up in Massachusetts and in New York and so on, they started to see photographs of hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of their boys lying flat on their faces, dead in the mud of the bloodied fields, that people started to say, hey, there's a war on. This is serious. And friends, there are casualties in this spiritual war that we are engaged in. There are body bags. Over the years, I've known a number of people who have once claimed to trust uh, in the gospel of Christ and to serve Jesus as their Lord, but now they do so no longer. And very few of them, very few of them, as far as I know, have stopped following Jesus because they've, they've come to a view that the gospel's not true. Very few of them have stopped following Jesus because they've decided that they have evidence that the resurrection did not actually happen, that Jesus' death on the cross did not in fact pay the penalty for sin or that God does not exist. They're not the reasons why they've stopped following Christ. The reasons they've stopped following Christ has almost entirely been because of idolatry, idols, that they have decided to seek fulfilment in something or in someone other than God, like their career, like their wealth, like their material possessions, like their lifestyle, like an ungodly relationship outside of marriage or a relationship with another person uh, who does not love Christ. Sometimes it's also been because of false teaching. I have friends who have 
Uh, once owned Christ as central, the gospel of Jesus as being central to their very existence, but they have listened to impressive preachers who, although not denying the gospel, have replaced the centrality of the gospel with a different message. Satan, friends, has always been a liar. He's been a liar since the very beginning, and he wants us to think that our lives would somehow be be more satisfying, more fulfilling, more if we only stopped trusting and serving Jesus and started embracing the things of this world. He wants us to believe that if we follow him and his word and if we soak up the values of this world that life will somehow be, be better for us that God does not have our best interest in mind. It's been his lie since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, when the serpent made the promise that, uh, and stated that God does not really have your best interest in mind. Go and eat the fruit. Go and do it. God just doesn't want you to become like him. In Revelation chapter 2, the risen Lord Jesus addresses the uh, seven churches and one of the churches that he addresses is this church in Ephesus listen to what he said to the Ephesian church this is Jesus speaking this is what he says to these Ephesians he says I have this against you you have forsaken your first love and he goes on to say if you do not repent I will come and remove your lampstand I'll judge you. Isn't that what Satan wants? Now, of course, this kind of raises the issue of whether Christians can actually fall away. Um, it's something which we think about and talk about. Because on the one hand, the, 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 the God promises that he will never let go of those whom he has called whom he has elected and it's very comforting and re very reassuring for us but on the other hand the bible also warns us against falling away and our experience shows that there are people who we once knew who claim to be christians who no longer do so so how can those two things be true how can it be that uh, god uh, that God will not let go of those whom he has called. And yet we see these warnings against falling away. Uh, friends, God does keep hold of those he has chosen. He doesn't let go. But the way that he holds us is through faith and repentance. Through our faith and through our <laughs> repentance and so what that means is that when people do turn away from the Lord, then it shows that they were never truly repentant, that they never truly grasped and appreciated and valued what Jesus had done for them on the cross. Um, in the book of Jude, I like the book of Jude because it's so short, <laughs> very short. And, and Jude's really interesting because in Jude, uh, Jude 
Jude he urges Christians to persevere and to keep ourselves in God's love. That's what he does. And then he says, And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. So he urges, you, urges us to persevere, to continue, to keep ourselves in God's love. And by the way, God alone is the one who is able to keep you from falling. So it's, it's God's sovereignty and our working through our efforts uh, that bring these two truths together. It was Billy Graham who once said that Jesus invited us not to a picnic, but to a pilgrimage, uh, not, to a, uh, not to a frolic, but to a fight. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul urges us to stand firm. Have a look at verse 13. He says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Okay? So he wants us to stand firm. Stand firm in the day of evil. Stand firm at that time of temptation. And if you're going to stand your ground, faithfully serving God right to the end, what must you do? You've got to put on the full armour of God. Verse 14. In verse 14, he goes on to say, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the, is, which is the word of God. Now this, of course, is the uh, every Sunday school teacher's dream passage. Uh, this is the passage where you can get someone, all the kids dressed up as a soldier and someone gets to wear a helmet and, you know, um, if you're a man, you get out your biggest, thickest belt with a big buckle on it and, you know, it's a great, but what does it actually mean? What is it really all about? What is this, uh, what are these, these, these this, what is this armoury? Now, when Roman soldiers... Uh, fired arrows, what they would first do is they would dip the end of the arrow into tar and then what would they do? They would light it, fire it, and what would be the effect? Well, you'd have fires all over the place. Right? Smart thing to do. Um, Roman soldiers, they wore... Uh, they, they held, uh, or had held for them, um, full-body shields. And so as they stood side by side and advanced towards their enemy, it was just like an impenetrable wall coming towards you. But what does Paul mean here? Uh, what is the shield of faith? What is the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth? Let's think about truth. You know, um, in Ephesians, when Paul speaks about truth, he, he has a specific truth in mind, doesn't he? It's like if you have a look at uh, chapter 4, verse 21, for example, uh, and there he says, he says, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him 
in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And throughout Ephesians, when he talks about truth, he's talking about the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so if you want to stand against the attacks of the evil one, then our belt is the belt of the truth of the gospel. We've got to have the truth of the gospel wrapped around us. And the reason for that is that because it is the gospel that saves us. It's the same with righteousness. If you want to be protected from the schemes of the evil one, we must be covered. We must have the breastplate of the righteousness of God, which again is the gospel. Um, Peter, in his first letter, <clears throat> not Peter who works here, but you know the, the Peter who wrote the scriptures, uh, Peter wrote, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung where we should have hung. Our sin became his sin so that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. So we're covered on the day of judgment with the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. Do you know what the evil one thinks of that? He hates it. He hates it. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How does it come? It comes through, through faith. So it's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith. So that if we want to stand firm against Satan, then we need to equip ourselves with the very best protection that there is, and that is the gospel. And check out what's on our feet. In verse 15, army boots, uh, steel-capped, so that you're ready for anything. You're clothed and you're equipped with the gospel of Christ. Now, it's pretty basic when you think about it. Uh, we need to keep on trusting what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, but sometimes that's not all that easy. And I think it's, it's fair to say that sometimes we can start the Christian uh, life uh, having a very deep appreciation of our sin and what Jesus has done in paying for our sin. And we can be truly sorry for our sin and just very grateful for the gospel. But as we progress through life, we can become a bit stale. We can, the, the memory of what we've been saved from can start to fade a bit. And we can become um, more confident in ourselves. And the confidence I'm talking about there is confidence in our own righteousness. Like we don't need the, uh, the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. And we can even become judgmental. Or we can allow the, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things to, to, to grow up around us and, to, and to, to choke our spiritual life. So that without consciously deciding to do this, we, we kind of put down the shield. We 
take off the breastplate, we untie our boots, we unbuckle the belt so that without realising it, we're actually standing naked in the battlefield and an easy target for the flaming arrows of the evil one. Sometimes it's because people get bored with the gospel and that they look for something which is more relevant or more exciting for them. But friends, can I ask you, is there anything more relevant? Is there anything more exciting than that Jesus has died for you, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you were captive by the evil one, and that Jesus, by his death, has paid for your sin, by his resurrection, has released you from that captivity, by his resurrection, has guaranteed you an eternal existence with God, your creator forever in his heaven, by his death and resurrection, has given you purpose and meaning and hope and everything that's necessary for total fulfilment in terms of being fulfilling that which God has planned for you. Is there anything more exciting than that? Is there anything more thrilling? Is there anything that should fill us more with joy than the gospel of Jesus? Well, not if we truly believe it. Because in verse 17, Paul says that we need to take that helmet of salvation which is about being saved, isn't it? I mean, in, uh, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is, uh, it is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. We need to wear that helmet of salvation on our heads. Now, the equipment so far, of course, has been purely protective. But... In verse 17, the soldier carries a weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, remember when Jesus was attacked by Satan in the wilderness, how did he fend him off? He fended him off with the sword of the Spirit, didn't he? Every attack that Satan made, Jesus responded with the Word of God. Satan says, turn those stones into bread and come and follow me. And Jesus says, no man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Friends, you and I need to know our Bible so well that when we are tempted, that we are able to fend off the evil one. That when we are tempted, we're, we're not kind of left unprotected. We're not caught unawares. We're not thinking, gee, I never thought about this one before. When we're tempted by sexual immorality, remember the words Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. When we're tempted by materialism and, and gossip, we should know, uh, perhaps not chapter and verse, but we should know what the word of God says and obey it. Satan has no defence against obedience to the word of God. No defence. But the sword of the spirit is not just a defensive weapon. Uh, I wonder if you can come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. Everyone would like to turn that up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and you'll find it on page 821. And I'm going to read from verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 
Nearly got it? Okay, I'll read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And Paul says here, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It's interesting at the moment, isn't it? There are people who are waging a religious war in Iraq and Syria. They are those who are trying to set up what they believe is God's kingdom by the sword, by killing people, by mutilating people, by conquering, by bringing fear into people. But we don't fight like that. The battle, the war that we fight, the weapons we fight with are spiritual weapons. This is a spiritual warfare. And uh, we, the weapon which Paul has been given by God is the word of God, the gospel. He demolishes arguments. He smashes false views of the world which set themselves up against the knowledge of God and of Christ. He uses the word of God to penetrate the, uh, the philosophies and the thinking of this world to show their falseness and to apply the gospel into that context. Paul says, we persuade men. And we do so not with our own oratory, not with our own ideas, not with our own gifts. We do so with the, the sword of the spirit, which is living and active, the word of God. And as men and women hear and believe the gospel, they are released from the captivity to Satan. Satan's kingdom is plundered. And they, they themselves uh, become clothed with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth. Because as the gospel is preached, the kingdom of God expands wherever it's preached, around the world. And it's happening around the world, isn't it? It's happening wherever the gospel is being proclaimed. My prayer for Iraq at the moment is that people would be converted. That the, these people who are living in darkness, these people who are fighting a religious war, that God by his spirit would show them that Christ Jesus is the fulfilment of everything that they're seeking. Pray for them and preach the gospel. And Satan's pretty cranky when the gospel is preached. Satan is pretty cranky when he sees he's losing a grip on people he thought were his. And so he's after us. He is like a roaring lion. He's, he's waiting to devour us. So we need to stand our ground. We need to never budge from the gospel. We need to not only understand the gospel, but apply the gospel into all areas of our lives. Just what Paul has been doing here in Ephesians, in our marriages, 
in our family lives, in our workplace. And we must always remember, we must keep remembering what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross. You know, when the Australian media <clears throat> broke the news about the faulty weapons in Iraq and Afghanistan, it did cause a bit of a fuss. Uh, the army chiefs, the government and so on, the, their spin doctors uh, immediately sprung into action. <laughs> and uh, someone said to me after the first service, they say, you know that something's true when once it's been officially denied. <laughs> Is that right? So they called a, a press conference in order to assure the public that they'd fixed all of the problems and it really wasn't as bad as it all seemed. But friends, the full armour of God never fails. The full armour of God is what we need to be wearing. Are you wearing it? Are you standing firm for the gospel? Let's be, keep on being committed to that, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the armour which you've given us. And uh, we pray, Father God, that uh, in the battlefield of life, that uh, on that day when the smoke clears and the, the dust settles, that we would be found to be standing, not flat on our face, but standing, because you've kept us safe, because we've kept on putting our trust in Jesus. We've kept on repenting. Help us, Lord God, never to budge from the gospel. Help us to not compromise on areas of holiness. May we not become idolaters, but may we always remember what Jesus has done for us and be thankful for that and live for that all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.